life is random circumstances and you kind of make the most of it. You grab what you can and you try to make your path. Welcome to the podcast, Being All of Us. It's great to have you here. My name is Brian David George, and my mission is to inspire you to become an agent of change in your own life through the stories of people like you from around the world who are on a journey of self-discovery and inclusion. I believe that these conversations will lift you up and help you to uncover your potential and to become your higher self. So sit back, go for a walk, a run, a drive, whatever works for you, and enjoy some time to get to know more about yourself. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Being All of Us podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we have two very special guests, Amy Mortensen and Daniel Schwartzman. So, Amy, Daniel, welcome. Thank you so much for having us. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you, Brian. It's my pleasure to have you guys here. Honestly, I'm, I'm so happy that, we, that we're having this conversation, that we're getting it on record for other people to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I really would like to just start off hearing a little bit more about who you two are. I guess, you know, how, how you two kind of came to be who you are and how you came to be the couple that you are. So uh, should we say ladies first? <laughs> Amy, tell us a little bit about yourself. Great. Perfect. Well, I am a Midwestern girl that grew up in a, in a small town, Ludington, Michigan, but my mother was a language teacher. And so I grew up kind of with this recognition and appreciation for languages and other cultures. And even though our town is very small and at the time very white still is, I just had this, this appreciation for other people, other languages. And so I always, from a very young age, was interested in languages and cultures. And then I, I kind of followed in the footsteps of my mother. I became a teacher. I lived in San Diego, California for many years. I did um a bilingual teaching degree. So right when I started teaching, I was teaching a bilingual social studies class, Spanish and English. And I just knew that I wanted to live in another country. I always kind of had this desire. So I tapped into the international teaching market early in my career. And then the first country I went to was Venezuela. Then I ended up in Brazil, which I loved. Then after teaching in, in South America for a number of years, I actually took a year off from teaching and went to India alone and did wow. yoga and worked in local schools as a volunteer and then traveled sort of throughout the country on my own, which was an amazing experience. And then I took a job in Israel, in Tel Aviv, which is where I ended up meeting Daniel. So that was a game changer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then as a couple, we moved to the country of Luxembourg and then eventually to Bulgaria. And now we're in Spain. So I feel like we as an adult, I've just had this life where I've been all over the place and it's been amazing working with international students and international 
group of colleagues, I feel has really helped sort of shape who I am as a person. And I don't know, I mean, I feel very comfortable with myself as a as a human, I hope that I'm doing good things in the world. <laughs> and that's saying quite a bit, right? It's not, not easy to say. Yeah, right. So, and of course, once I met Daniel, I mean, we were just like a perfect fit. And that has kind of helped out my path in my, mm. you know, <laughs> so. I wonder if maybe you could, as a way of introducing Daniel, tell us how you guys met. I, I know you met in Israel, mm -hmm. right? Sure. Well, we actually have kind of a funny story. I mean, it, I feel like it brings a lot of joy to people once they know it. So we were both we both came in in the new group of teachers to the Walter Berber International School, and Daniel was actually the intern in our group. And you know, <laughs> for those so of you watch, sorry, for those of you listening who don't see this. Daniel's face right now was priceless. It was like this, <laughs> boom. Yeah, that was me, the intern. <laughs> you know, and I was well into my 30s at the time and, you know, had already at that point, I had been teaching, you know, for a long time. And, you know, but like it is when you started a new school with that group of teachers, you all become very close and you cultivate this bond. And I met Daniel and I thought, oh, you know, what a, you know, cute kid and you know and thought he just was an amazing human being and then a couple months into the job we cultivated this friendship and he was so intelligent and I thought at the time so amazingly mature I mean like more grounded and centered than a lot of guys that I knew that were in their 30s Probably. and <laughs> I got to this point that I was like oh my god do I have a crush on the intern? And so that's kind of, and so, <laughs> he can talk more about uh, that too. But so that was kind of how we met as we were teaching together. And I do have to say, I really struggled at first because I, being a new teacher at the school, I didn't want to be perceived as, you know, who is the, well, look at Amy. You know, she's, what is she doing? Going out with the intern. So, you know, for me, it was, it was quite, it was really difficult at first, but I don't know when you just kind of have that connection and anybody that knows Daniel, he's like an old man. So even at the, when he was in his twenties, when I met him, he was, you know, I felt like I was the one in my twenties and he was the one in his thirties. So. so he was an old soul when you met A him, which sounds much nicer <laughs> than an old man. I like to say old man, but yeah, very, he was an old soul. <laughs> It's, it's funny. It actually reminds me a lot of, of another couple that I know that I've known for years. And there's also, I'm not, how much of an age difference is there between the two of you? There's 14 years. That's exactly the same age difference between this other couple. And that's where I get the term old soul from is because this woman always says, well, when I met my husband, you know, he was an old soul, even though he was in his early 20s. Right. It's, it's, it's very similar to that connection that you just kind of notice in spite of the difference in age. Right. Exactly, exactly. And it just, I don't know, it's something that you can't really explain. It just kind of happens and then you're in it and then you're thinking, oh my gosh, what's happening? But it just kind of feels so natural and so mm -hmm. right. And so I feel like so many people struggle to find a partner that they really mesh with that 
in the end, I was like, okay, but Amy, you can't let an age difference ruin something that could be really strong and really wonderful. And so eventually I kind of got over myself. And when we did kind of let the news out of the bag to other colleagues, of course, nobody cared. Nobody. I mean, because they worked with Daniel too, and they, they could see how wonderful he was and nobody, you know, criticized or thought we were weird or... So it was all just my own personal insecurity. The, the story that you were telling yourself <laughs> about it, right? The story I was telling myself, right. Huh. I actually find that really fascinating how we tell ourselves stories and we believe that everybody believes that's true. And then suddenly, you know, we might discover that nobody's believing this but me. I'm the other one believing this story. Oh my gosh, you know, right. let me stop believing this right. and open myself up to possibility. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's exactly what it was like. And surprisingly... Enough, even though Daniel was the one that was 14 years younger, he never had a problem with it. And he can he can speak to that. But I feel like he was just so comfortable from the beginning and was like, look, Amy, we can keep it under wraps if you want to. But I don't care that you're right. 37 or what up, 36, what up, 37, whatever I was right. when we met. <laughs> right. Well, Daniel, would you like to tell your side of the story? Because she's she's called you an old man. Uh, she admitted to having a crush on the intern. Uh, how did you how did you come to this story? So, as a background element, so what brought me to Israel, I guess, is worth getting into. So, I'm from the Mass from the Boston area, suburb of Boston. My parents were Russian Jewish immigrants to the states. They, my brother was born in. Moscow and came to the States. I was the first one born in the States and then two younger siblings. And I think I'm going to say some things just to set up how I got there. The I got sent to a boarding school close to home, 30 minutes from home. But my mother wanted wasn't wasn't thrilled with how my brother came out of high school, even though my brother's totally successful and fine. But right. Russian Jewish parents lots of expectations. My brother was more eager to, you know, have fun in high school. I think he loved, he got me into sports and was a huge influence on me, but was a little bit more rebellious. And my mother did not want that for me. So she sent me, so I went to a boarding school and I say that because that dislocated me a little bit. I wasn't mm -hmm. the attachments to my hometown, like really when I look back on it, that cut them off a lot. I'm not, I'm Facebook friends with people from middle school, but I'm not really, except for a brief period in college, I wasn't really close with anybody from my grade in my hometown. So so I sort of had an interest in being away. I, I was kind of, even though my top choice for college was near home, I was secretly sort of open to the fact that I didn't get in and that I could go somewhere further away from home. I went to school in North Carolina. So, and then my mother actually died from cancer when I was in college. And that, there's two things as I sort of look back that sort of, obviously that, you know, is a big event and sort of, that was, uh, it was my junior year. So it was, it was hard, but then also like more tangibly, and this sounds silly, she had a life insurance policy and the summer after she died, my wrestling team went for a trip to Europe. At the time, I remember initially not wanting to go. I was like, oh, there's so much of the U.S. I want to explore. I don't right. need to go abroad. But then I finally convinced myself it was a good idea. I used the life insurance money to pay for the trip. And it was a trip where 
we went to Berlin, but then we went to Poland and the Baltic countries. And I, as an immigrant kid, spoke Russian, but like poorly. And that my mom taught me the alphabet, which is a big step. I studied it in high school. My high school offered it. I studied in college, but it was still sort of like, okay, I can speak to my grandparents. I can read, whatever, but it's not. And then I went on this trip and all of a sudden I was lost in Berlin before we even went to Poland. And I didn't know where to meet up with anybody. This is 2005. So this is pre-cell phone or smartphones. Pre-smartphones, no international calling plans. I went to an internet cafe and I eventually found the phone number of the Polish coach who was with, with us. And I called him. He didn't speak English. And then I just tried Russian and I and he spoke Russian because, you know, he's of an age where he grew up learning it. And all of a sudden I was like in the door was open to all these cool experiences with him on the trip. And then I was sort of the interpreter in the Baltic countries as well. And all of a sudden I realized like this language thing is not just an academic exercise or a family thing. It opens doors to all this stuff. So the next year I took a semester in Moscow. And so that's what opened my world to international. I also started dating this woman who was older and it was longer distance and she was Russian. And it wasn't, I don't know, it sort of was, I'm good at sort of just taking a path and then just following it. Like I, I sometimes will get very fixed. And so I was just like, all right, I'll do this. And so that kind of pushed me to like, I want to be abroad. And my best friend's mother introduced me to the international teaching world. And that's how I ended up at the school. All of that's to say I'm at the school, I meet Amy, and Amy and I had a quick friendship from the get-go. And I noted that she was the same age that I thought the woman I was dating was. <laughs> that you thought she was a woman. Can you stop there? What do you mean that you, you thought she was? You didn't know how old this woman was that you were dating? Yeah, I, I don't want to go into all of it because I want to focus on uh, this guy, but... <laughs> Essentially, I was a Chinese New Year cycle off. Let's okay. <laughs> I knew which year she was in the cycle, and it's actually the same as Amy. It was just mm -hmm. one. I I wouldn't do was something that she was eager to. So you never actually met her in person. No, no, no. We met in person. Oh, okay, we, okay. I just never looked at her passport. Let's put it that okay. way. Okay. So there's again, it's its own topic, but. When I was, so Amy and I struck up a quick friendship. We planned a party together that we hosted in my apartment. We, people were already joking about us, I think a little bit. And <laughs> even asking, I had a friend visit from college visit and he asked me about her. So it was clear we had a chemistry as a friendship. <laughs> and so when I was having, when the scales fell from my eyes regarding this other relationship, the person I came to was not like my best friend or whatever else, it was Amy. And it was in working out that, that one of us made a pass and then the other eventually made a pass and both passes failed, but then we finally reckon, not reconciled, but finally admitted that there was made, something in there. Made right? a leap at the same time. And so I was already open to me, the idea of age, I had kind of overcome that barrier already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just the... I had some good advice in college as far as from friends and from a, one of the girls I was close to in college had said to meet people, go do what you want to do. Right. Mm. I then translated to that to be with the person that you can be most yourself with. And with Amy, 
I'm all the important stuff. I can be myself. Obviously, when you're with a relationship, certain things get amplified or mm -hmm. decreased <laughs> just because there are things that you're more interested in with one another. Right. But yeah. And so that was for us, that was the story. And it was funny because a couple years into our relationship, I think I always felt like it, it did not take me long to say I was in love. It did not take me long mm -hmm. to know that this was the right person for me. And then you just make the, you deal with the consequences. Okay, well, I'm going to live a life abroad, which is great. You know, whatever. You have the center of your life and you build around that. But I would say after leaving Israel, I think our relationship took a step up. We spent a year in the States and we like, I think worked through a lot before we came to Luxembourg together as a fixed package. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. A fixed package. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice way of putting That's it. That's a very right? good description of us. <laughs> and she, she said sometime, you know, maybe the year in the States or maybe in Luxembourg, she's like, yeah, that first spring, I was really like, not sure if this was going to work. And I was like, well, I'm glad you didn't tell me that because I was, you know, I'm like, uh, you are all in, right? Yeah. You were completely invested. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, like we went on a trip to Portugal together and like, I was still obviously such a kid. I was like, still that Portugal trip was like the only time I ever felt jealousy about her because I just felt like clearly she's going to meet set some me as, Portuguese guy. Well, there was, there was specifically like this handsome guy running the bed and breakfast we were at and they're talking in Portuguese and he's well dressed and we're arguing over whether I can wear shorts with socks and so <laughs> but but I still like I still do a lot of managing up the wardrobe she oh good for you good for you <laughs> she was not she was annoyed that I was using my student pass to get discounts on tickets so yeah yeah I was like, enough, please don't we have things to work out but but I so yeah so for me, it was never really, um, you know, I just saw the person who had the interest, who had the kind heart, who had the, like, just, it was just queer that that was, I don't believe in soulmates and I don't think you do either. I feel like I went through a point in my life where I believed in that in my, I don't know, maybe early 30s. And then I feel like I just did a lot of growing and a lot of soul searching on my own. And I came to know that it's just kind of like life is random circumstances and you kind of make the most of it. You grab what you can and you try to make your path and... So we'll joke that we could have gone down other paths and it's not <laughs> we're like aware of that. But I, you know, the path we're on as a couple is like, it's one that doesn't leave any, again, I, I'm fixing on that path, but I'm very comfortable. I'm not, I don't think I'm a horse with blinders. I feel like we picked that right. path and it's working out and very sort of content with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something that I hear you both saying in a way is, uh, yes, there is that chance in meeting someone and that chemistry, it just kind of happens with some people and with others, it doesn't. And then there is like the intentional part of, you know, you have a common project, mm -hmm. which is something, well, more than one, you know, in fact, I, I would love to get to part of those projects in this conversation. And, and just the fact that you all are together in a relationship that you met and you have made that decision and that commitment to say, okay, well, we're on a path together. And this is a project for us. I think that's something that a lot of, well, I can speak, you know, from my own experience, sometimes 
I have felt like, you know, I'm just trusting chemistry and no, there's actually work <laughs> involved. There's like, you know, that intention. No, I want to be with you. And so I'm going to take steps to make sure that we are going in the direction that we both feel comfortable with and that's good for us both. And if we get to a point where that doesn't feel good, then we can, you know, actually have the, I guess, the confidence in ourselves and each other to say, hey, should we think about this? You right. Know? And it sounds like you guys are in a healthy place where you, you, you communicate, you know, about exactly. your situation. And I think that's the important thing, too, is for all people to remember that relationships, no matter what the relationship is, if it's a relationship with your partners, your siblings, a relationship with your parents, all relationships are work and you, you and know what messy. I mean? They're messy and they're beautiful and you have to kind of cultivate those two things and just know that, that it is a constant work in progress. I do fully feel that communication is the key. And that's something that Daniel and I just very naturally from the beginning we just had this very open communication. There was none of this silliness, except for maybe the Portugal, but none of the <laughs> silliness of, you know, like, oh, I'm jealous of him or she's doing that or he's doing this or they're just, we just never really had any of that. Like we just always had this very deep trust for one another and respect in what one another wanted to do. If, for example, one year... Daniel wanted to go, was this in Luxembourg? I forgot. No, Israel, I think still. Daniel took a trip to Georgia, the country of Georgia. And at that point in time, I didn't have any desire to go there. Now I do. But mm. I wanted to go to Thailand. So I went to Thailand for spring break by myself. And he went and did a trip in Georgia. And this is just kind of how we roll. Like, it was totally fine with each of us to do a trip on our own and just, I don't know, we just felt secure in our relationship, even though that was kind of early in the in the game for us. Well, you were setting the basis or the base for, you know, uh, a healthy space where both of you can be all of who you are and then come together and become this, you know, couple or this relationship where it's okay to be you. Right. You know? But I mean, I do have to give Daniel a lot of credit too, because I'm that much older than him. I mean, I had had a number of years of working on myself and... You went to India for a year. Exactly. I, I had just returned from India when I met Daniel. So I was in a very good, comfortable space with myself. And he was 24. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, right. I have to give him a lot of credit for just being this human that could be very grounded and open at a very young age. So... Amy's good at providing guidance when needed. Mm -hmm. Because what I remember from that, give us your, your side. Well, no, it's, it's a different take because this was her birthday. Her birthday is at the end of March. It's coming up. And so she, and happy it, birthday. <laughs> Thank you. And so she went to Thailand. There was a teacher's conference or whatever. And I was studying something for my, I did a model UN thing. And then I went, I was doing something for a graduate program, but I bought her a present. Mm -hmm. I bought her a necklace. And I think it would have, it was like a little red heart. And it was, I thought, a perfectly good effort to buy a birthday <laughs> present. So, so I bring it home. And so Amy was like, oh. <laughs> and meanwhile, her best friend, Karen, in Israel, Karen, 
brought, bought her a necklace and she would like wear it once a week and she would <laughs> and so important lesson learned don't ever unless Amy picks out the jewelry as in the case of the ring she's wearing right now don't bother to buy her jewelry so yeah she's been relaying those sorts of we you know I guess there's a serious point in there about I, I'm actually a big believer that the golden rule is not right we don't yeah, treat actually don't yeah. treat others as they treat as you would want to be treated treat others as they would want to be treated right. and so yep. not that i want amy to buy me jewelry either but <laughs> yeah but so. it's important to buy amy the jewelry that amy wants not the that jewelry that so you would important. like <laughs> exactly exactly that's and that's actually I, i'm really glad that you brought that up i think it's a perfect segue into kind of what you guys do together at least the way that i i know you uh, because that you know the golden rule is kind of backwards it's not treat others the way that i want to be treated it's treat others the way that they want to be treated that i know from work in diversity and inclusion and intercultural work and i think you know, you guys are really just, you know, completely into the whole intercultural world right now. So why don't we talk a little bit about your projects? I, I know you from your podcast, Bofes Migratorias, Voices of Migration. And I'd love to hear you talk about how you got into that and how, how did that come up for you guys? You know, where did, where did that desire to do this come from? Well, I think Daniel had worked for many years for Seeking Alpha, which is, you know, a financial company, and he's in this world of finance, and he's very, very good at it. But I feel like it also left him just feeling like he lacked, like he wanted to do something else, something more kind of for the world, if it were to him that had more meaning. So it's through Seeking Alpha that he actually had started podcasting and working on a podcast for them. I'm sure he'll talk about that in a minute. And then after working at Seeking Alpha for eight years, he was thinking about leaving and maybe starting his own company. But there was a lot of, you know, stress around that. And should I do it? Is it the right time to do it? And I just said, look, Daniel, I really think you should do it. Like you're in the point of your career where if you want to make a career change, like this is a great time to do it and just get out there and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, you can try to get a job with something else. And at the same time, I had already been teaching for 20 years in an international market, which I loved it. I have had a fabulous career, but I also was feeling a little bit tired with, you know, being in the middle school classroom. I love middle schoolers. It's my favorite age to teach, but I also was kind of feeling bogged down by the day-to-day -day grind. And so I wanted to get out and do something else. And it was at this time that we also had kind of decided to move to Spain and to maybe instead of moving around every few years, maybe try to really set down some roots in Spain. We both loved Spain. And so all of this kind of happened within a, a couple of years time. And Daniel did start up his own podcasting company and was already doing his own projects. And then we just kind of organically started talking about it one day about well, what if we did a podcast together? And what if it focused on people that have migrated from one country and are living in another? Think of all the people that we know. Think of all the places that we've been. Think of all the 
the paths that we have seen ourselves, but that we've also seen other people take. And at the same time in Spain, I was really starting to work with refugee and asylum seeker communities. And so the idea for Voices of Migration just kind of came together and we decided to to do it together. And, and that's how it came about. I mean, it wasn't even really any super heavy planning. It was, Daniel sort of already knew how to plan a podcast, but it was just something that seemed natural for us to do together because of our history and all the people that we've known and the path that our own careers were taking us. Because you're both, you're both migrants. I mean, you both have migrated. I was looking earlier at, you know, the different countries that you've worked and lived in. And I'm like, wow, you guys have been migrating, especially Amy, like most of your life. Right? right? No, my, my, in fact, my entire adult life, my early twenties were spent in California. But after that, I was in, you know, one country and then another and then another for, yeah, it's been tw- over 20 years. So I just felt like we had a basis from which to build. We have stories ourselves, but we wanted to hear the stories of other people too. Yeah. And so that's kind of how our, our podcast came to fruition. Hmm. One of the things that I hear in, in the episodes of your podcast is kind of giving voice to the people who might not always have a platform. That's mm-hmm. something that I, I, I perceive in the work that you do. I'm not sure if that's something that you guys do intentionally or it just turns out that way. What do you think? I think what we wanted to do with it was it's not a podcast focused on refugees, for example. Like we have, we want to make it a place for that as well, but it's not just immigration is so often a negative headline or a negative, these people who are coming over on boats to Spain. I mean, we're being in Spain and the U.S. milieu specifically gives us a lot of and we were in Bulgaria right as the refugee surge from Syria started too. And that's where Amy got introduced to this parent at her school who I had actually met through a volunteering program in Sofia as well, who started an organization. And that's where Amy spent a lot of time working with refugee programming. And so we both had an interest in sharing that, but also just this idea. And it's out there that todos somos migrantes, that Migration is a, is something that we all have done as humans. It's a perfectly normal thing. Obviously, in the U.S. context, unless I mean, you can even say that Native Americans came from Asia at some point. But the more predominant United States of America is built on people who move there, and there's always a tension inherent in that in our country. And so, just to share a little bit more of just how common it is and how diverse that is. So. We've had, you know, we've we just recorded our 10th episode and it's and we want to do better, I think, in terms of spreading even further. But to have people who are from Europe and have come to Spain for whatever, for professional reasons or have come here for reasons of love or have come here from Africa because they were, you know, in a arranged marriage or come here from the as immigrants from Asia and trying to sort of really show how widespread it is so that it's not a category that you associate with one specific thing, with one specific type of what they want, et cetera. And so I think that's how we're thinking about it. We want to be able to share stories of people who come here for work or like who who need a job or who come here because they are migrating from a push factor. But 
yeah, I think we're trying to show how broad it is and how common it is. One of the things that, that I, I hear that I've heard about migration or immigrant, well, I like the term migration better than immigration. Just like I, I avoid the term expat because I think it's putting a hierarchy in immigration. And I'm like, well, we're, I'm an immigrant, just like everybody else here who comes from mm-hmm. another country here to live and work. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to put I myself agree. above we, anyone we else. Yeah. <laughs> so I avoid that term. One of the things that I hear a lot about migration is migrants tend to either be running away from something, running towards something, or both at the same time. And I, I kind of, in the context of your podcast, maybe, I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. Do you think that in your case, or the people that you're interviewing, they're running away from something, they're running towards something, or maybe a little bit of both, or neither? <laughs> I think it's complicated, Brian. I mean, I think that it, it definitely, in some circumstances, it, it's, it's one or the other. You know, like, for example, just in a personal context, I feel like I was always running towards something. You know, in my migration, I'm always running toward, oh, a new culture. I want to experience that, a new opportunity, right? Whereas there have been people that we have interviewed, like my dear colleague Aminata, who I also work with in the um, Asociación Bred Aminata, who she wasn't really running away and she wasn't running toward either. She's from Mali. At the time, she was a young woman and was just finishing up high school and was so keen on her studies and was really loving studying. And then all of a sudden, like literally within a matter of days, her parents said, well, you're going to marry this guy. And it just happened that this man, what had already immigrated to Spain. He had come back. She was forced to marry him. And then because she was married to him, then she had to immigrate to Spain. So in her case, I think she was very happy to stay where she was. She wanted to finish her studies. She wanted to become a doctor. And she was kind of forced to immigrate to Spain and now, you know, has because of circumstances has had to really cultivate a, a life for herself. So I think it just depends on the individual story, which is one of the things that we really want to illuminate with our podcast is that every story, there are commonalities, but every story is so different. You know, I hear you talking about forced migration. And the first time I heard that term was in reference to a way to describe how slaves had come to the United States because we were, it was in a context of students and they were talking about migration. And, you know, one of the students of color said something about, you know, and what about these, you know, this migration that wasn't voluntary and the, the speaker that forced migration is another example. And that, Definitely. that kind of opens up a whole nother area to this, you know, running away from something towards something, or you have absolutely no choice. Like you are thrust into a situation and then there you are. And then, you know, depending on the circumstances, you can make a life for yourself or maybe you don't have the freedom to make a life for yourself. Right. You know, right. Which in the case of, of Aminatha that you're talking about, she, she was able to break away from, I guess, that situation and, and create that life for herself, even though she didn't ask to come to where she lives now. And for other people, it's, it's more complicated than that. Like they may never get a chance to really create a life for themselves. They're kind of living in a life that they were thrown into. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's, yeah, it's a spectrum also because you look at it from, you know, for our our example, we're here, even before I started my own company, I was working for 
a U.S. company, so I wasn't actually, we came here on a non-lucrative visa, so we don't actually have work permits, which part of that is you have to prove that you are of means, essentially, that you have, you're not going to be needing state assistance. And so we have, you know, we come from a lot of privilege, even, you know, that also applies to me being able to start my company and Amy being able to focus on the work she's doing now. So that's one end. Then you have something like some of the stories we've told. One story was of somebody who was born here to American parents who were just kind of, I gathered, sort of hippie-ish and just interested in traveling. And so that's an interesting lens. And then you have people who are here because their parents sought work opportunities, which isn't, is probably a running towards something model, but it's also... It's a sign of you don't have a lot of choice. I had an interesting conversation mm-hmm. in the one I just recorded with a young woman from Romania who her story, she didn't put it in exactly these terms and I haven't listened back yet to kind of synthesize, but I took away, she has friends who are in their 20s who have nice jobs in Romania, but they still need assistance from their family because living in Bucharest compared to their salary, is it, it's expensive. Whereas she's living in Valencia and she has roommates and whatever, but she's able to, she's found, she's switching jobs actually, but she's able to save a lot more money. And so there's that sort of economic pressure. And again, when you think about the headlines and the the things that you read or see in the news, there's a hierarchy in the reverse direction. It's like, okay, they're coming, they're fleeing war. So that's something that we have to make acceptance for. But if they're coming for work, that's somehow not good. And it's maddening to me because when I look at the US, for example, and I think of what, if there is anything exceptional to the US, which I, you know, I I think another topic, right? American exceptionalism. But I look at, I say there are probably three things that are exceptional to the US. There's oceans that protect them from other warring powers so that they they had a relative advantage there. There is access to resources and a system that is effective in exploiting them for both good and ill. But it's a North America is a rich country or rich continent, and the system of law, for better or for worse, was able to grow out of that and innovate, etc. And then that people would come to America as a land of opportunity, that it was open, that people come there to work. And if you're the type of person who leaves a country to go work somewhere else, you are self-selecting as a motivated, hardworking, passionate person. And the fact that we will sometimes view immigration as a problem to solve, you think it's, it's like Amazon saying, you know what, we have too many people coming to buy stuff from us. We need to be more selective. We need to weed out these people that we don't. And it's like, no, of course not. You want to compete for, I I don't want to be overly business minded about it, but you want to attract people to your country. That's what, and if there's space to put them, it's probably in these richer countries that relatively are less dense. I mean, Europe, it's not one-to-one comparison, but so yeah, so that's, I think something to, the way we like look at migration is through this is either scarcity you know it's it's like this mindset of not enough 
Like there's mm-hmm. not enough for everyone instead of seeing it as there's more than enough for everyone, you know, that exactly. abundance mindset. So let's see what we like the more, uh, it's going to sound really, you know, the more diversity that we can include in this salad or whatever that we're calling a country, you know, then the, the more delicious the salad will be. I really like that. You know, instead of a melting pot, like a mixed salad, mm-hmm. that idea of, so you don't want to mix it all together and make it one thing. You want to enjoy every little part that's different. And that's part of why it's delicious is because it's so rich and so varied. So when I hear you talking about this, yeah, it's, yeah, we don't want to like, I, I, I like the example of Amazon, you know, we don't want all these people coming in and buying our products. It's like, how does that even enter your head? No, let's get all these people to come in and buy our products, you know, because they will make us better. It's really operating from fear, which is just like a misunderstanding of reality in a way. You know, it's thinking that there is a limited amount and that either I have it or you have it. And that's not actually true at all. Yes, we live on a finite planet with finite resources, and we are more than intelligent enough to figure out how we can all thrive with the resources that we have. Right. And I think that's key too. what you just said about fear is that unfortunately, in the modern world, I do feel like so many things are based on fear. So many political decisions, the way that people react toward one another are really coming from this fear-based mentality. And there's definitely that fear-based mentality that surrounds migration and immigration in the United States and Europe, really wherever. So I'm just curious. One of the things I think you might have mentioned it earlier, Daniel, I, I have become much more aware of the privilege that I have in recent years. You know, I think I grew up in a generation that, you know, I grew up in the colorblind generation in the States. So, you know, everybody's the same. I don't see your color, blah, blah, blah. You're still a person to me. And in recent years, I've done more work on myself and like learned more than actually like I'm denying that you exist if I say I don't see you for being you. You know, I, I'm not actually acknowledging your story as being important. I'm minimizing your story. So, For me, like an important aspect, I think, of why I am doing what I'm doing now in the world is I want to pay my privilege forward. You know, I didn't choose to be born white in America, you know, born in the States. And now that I've got it, what can I do with it? Like this in the world that we live in has a certain, it opens certain doors. And I'm like, okay, so if I'm going to be able to open those doors, what can I do with this power? What can I do with this privilege? And I, I would love to hear you guys talk a little bit about how you, I guess, perceive that privilege in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, I think that's sort of what Amy was getting at about me. For, because I think with teaching, Amy worked at international schools, so you had, that's in and of itself higher class people and economically. But in finance, you know, I, 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 I'm like, I do think capitalism is the best of all available systems, realistically. I think finance serves a purpose. I'm not trying to say that, but I felt like for that to be all my focus, I find it intellectually fascinating, but it just didn't feel like I was, just felt like a degree removed from the impact that I might want to have. Not that, I I don't know that we're there yet, but to be able to share stories at least is a step closer towards like, I, I don't know, having some, those things we were saying earlier about immigration, migration, 
I think that's closer to like, okay, this is something I really care about that I see as missing. And so for us to be able to add a corrective to that, I don't know, but it's interesting because I think one of the things I sort of get angsty about with the podcast even is that it's maybe too much still drawing from people like us, people in this intercultural world, for example, who are very, who think about it a lot and who are in this world, but are also, if you're, if you have the time to think about that a lot, you're also in a seat of already your privilege, you're, you're, yep. you know, it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're a lot further from the bottom. You're a lot closer to that top level. So it's something we think about and how to, and how to, we're still, Amy again, works with Radabinata, which is an organization that is working to raise awareness around female genital mutilation. So again, she has more, I think, hands-on. For me, I'm still trying to figure out, okay, how do I, I left, and I left my job last summer. So during the pandemic, which I think was like a- Was a bold move. Again, we have the the privilege that it it's more for, we have a runway. And so it was more a mental, like getting comfortable with, what I try to remind myself is before I was on a you, whatever treadmill, hamster wheel, whatever, and I enjoyed it. You know, I had my grumbles, but I enjoyed it, <laughs> and it, it was lucrative enough. But it wasn't. It wasn't getting me any closer down this path that I'm talking about now. And so now, as I'm in a little bit more of a flojo environment, a looser sort of schedule, it's how to how to okay. What is what is the purpose? What is it serving? How does it you know? And I, I don't mean to try to paint myself as, and I'm speaking more for me than you right now, but paint myself as like, oh, I'm trying to be altruistic. I'm trying to figure out what it is that can be useful. I, I again, I, th I think the idea of businesses serving people is really powerful. I think there's something about the profit element that actually, if you do it right, can be more powerful than a nonprofit organization. There's something, but uh, yeah, anyway, so that's how, I, I, I'm not sure how precisely that answered your well, question about privilege, but I, well, I'm just hearing something, and I actually want to kind of slow down here for a second because I hear you talking about how we can use profit in good ways. You know how it's profit wealth doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's how we use it that can turn it into something that's uh, more productive, more sustainable, more create. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling here to find the word to express what I want to say, which is, you know, we can do really good things with like money can make amazing things happen. It's how you decide to use it. It's how you decide to return it to the world that makes a big difference. And also like, I also heard you talking about turning who you are into what you do. This is my interpretation of it, you know, and I think it's a really interesting point for a lot of people at this point in time is how can I turn who I am into what I do so that I have a greater impact on the world so that I can make a bigger difference so that I can you know, change more people's lives for the better? Because right now there are a lot of things that are happening that are leading, you know, people are we're, we're very exposed, we're very raw right now, you know, in this pandemic world that we're living in. And so it's like a really crucial time to decide which way do I want to use my energy in the world, you know? So, Yes, let's find those things within capitalism, within whatever, to make profit that they can be used for good reasons, you know, for things well, that are... Well, I feel... Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with you, Brian, and Daniel is obviously the more business mind than me, but 
it's about, to me, I feel like using profit or using your privilege that, you know, you were just kind of born to. It's not like you chose it, it's, you know, but to use it to help give other people power to help mm. give open the doors for other people to help give a lift to other people that maybe weren't born with the with that privilege i think that that for me personally is key is how first of all i think as a white person it's you have to recognize that yes i have this <laughs> privilege whether i want it or not i have and I have to recognize it and I have to see that even though I might not have or felt I didn't have any bad intentions, that even just having white privilege can sometimes cause negative things to happen to other people. And so you have to recognize that. And I feel like right now we're at a crucial moment, seems, you know, quite late in the game, but we are in a crucial moment in history where white people are finally realizing this and trying to many people trying to figure out how then to turn the power over to black and brown people. You know what I mean? And I feel like this is really important, whether it's supporting black and brown businesses, whether it's trying to use your energy in working toward a cause. I think that this is really important and it's the way that you can use your privilege to to lift others, I think, can really make a difference. And then the thing that I think we have to be careful of is it shouldn't be a lifting where then you're looking back at yourself and saying, oh, look at what I did. I lifted this. No, it can't have anything to do with that. It has to have, you know, this idea of, like you, I think, said this earlier, paying it forward. I do this and then I can watch this person take off or this organization take off. Then I think that they're... If we can just make things more sustainable in that way that in the, you know that includes this inclusion and diversity and but it's tricky. Oh my god, it's really tricky. <laughs> Daniel, you were talking a moment ago about making, I guess, people the focus or the center of business. And if we did I did I get that right? <laughs> Something well, like that. I, I, I'm obsessed with newspapers, for example, something I've been doing my whole reading since there are stories of me reading newspapers on the potty as a child, <laughs> reading the sports pages. And to me, without trying to get into the weeds of who's, you know, like you take the New York Times is controversial on both sides of the political spectrum, but reporting is a valuable thing, right? If you do it well, sharing, reporting news, generate like covering news and analyzing it, entertaining through it is valuable. And so making a business out of something that is genuinely valuable to people enough for them to pay for it, but also that serves, that's what I think is interesting is how to, what can you do with your time? Because the ultimate scarce resource is our time. How can we turn that into something that is genuinely valuable that people will be willing to put a monetary value on, not exploitative, but how can you do that? Like, you know, if somebody is, that can be, if somebody is a wonderful cook to be able to set up a restaurant that provides quality food. And then, yeah, if they have any excess profits, either you give it to your, you know, balance it out with your workers or you 
you invest in charity or whatever else. But that's that's sort of how I think about it is how can and that's what I'm sort of trying for me personally, how I'm trying to think about with my time, how can I make it the most valuable? Not of course to make it sustainable financially so that it can grow, but but also so that it can serve that it's not just about making money. Like I could I invest in the stock market and I in the stock market's always crazy, but it's been crazy and it, in a positive sense for the last year, oddly enough. And I could justify spending my days on the stock market. I would find it intellectually interesting. I, I'm not trying to, I, I think I would be able to do it in a way that's profitable enough to get by, but you can abstractly say, yes, you're making capital more accessible. You're making it so that we invest in more efficient businesses, et cetera. Like there's, there's a theoretical thing, but I don't think it applies to an individual. And so how can I align that potential of making something sustainable while also making it more impactful and tangible in moving people's lives forward? It could be just funding, you know, you take your profits and, but I want to be, I think, more ground level mm. on something. You want to get your hands dirty <laughs> in a way. And I, I, we could go on and on and on. And I have so many more questions I would love to ask you. And I also know that. I want to be mindful of our time. So we're coming to the end. And I, I want to start by thanking both of you very much for joining me today and also just for the work that you do. I mean, it's really, I think, important to be intentional in what we do with our time and our energy. And so I want to thank you for being intentional the way that you are, you know, trying to, to bring more awareness or just to touch more people's lives with what you do. So thank you for that. Thank you so much for having us on. It's been a true honor to to just be on and, and a part of your new project. And we're so happy for you with this project and <laughs> want to see it be very successful for you. So thank you for including us kind of in the early stages of the game. Yes, it's exciting. <laughs> and I, I didn't tell you, I think I did tell you this. Um, I actually, it was kind of listening to your podcast that I was like, I'd already been thinking about doing it. I was like, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. So thank you for that little push in the right direction. And there is one last thing that I want to ask you both about. And it's uh, kind of a challenge. I like to end the episodes with a challenge for the listeners. And I keep hearing you talk about being of service. It's something that I've heard you both say. So what, what's a little challenge that you might leave with people who are listening? Some simple little thing that they could do today or tomorrow to maybe be of more service to those around them, to be more inclusive, to have more of an impact? I think it's maybe even just starting with, you know, somebody that you know that's close to, to you in your, maybe it's in your place of work, maybe it's somebody that you deal with on a daily basis, like you go to get your coffee or you go to a specific store. I don't know. I just like to see, you know, how, I guess a good challenge is how can you reach out to somebody on a very human level, even just with something very easy, like just starting up a conversation with somebody that you that might provide an actual service to you every day and you're just and you just kind of hi how are you thank you I'd like my you know latte you know how can you reach out to that person on a very human level and engage with them 
whether it be, you know, learning something about their life or I feel like sometimes it just starts on a micro scale of reaching out to other human beings that you might sort of see every day, but not really see. Does that Mm. make sense? That makes perfect sense to to actually see the person who is serving you the coffee or, you know, who is ringing you up at the supermarket to actually see them and to strike up, even if it's just like a two line conversation, but more than the please and thank you. Right, right. Yeah. See that yeah. I was going to say before Amy really nailed down her answer, I was going to suggest practicing listening skills because I think that's something I obsess over thinking about is just, not and not always successfully. Sometimes, like everybody, I'm thinking through what you're going to say so that I can ask the next question. But with the podcasting, one of the things that I enjoy about it is getting to listen is it, it's always ironic when you then get asked to be more of the speaker but i think listening is the that's what's powerful about this medium and about connecting with people in general and so i think just practicing listening skills make who knows where that gets you depending on who you're speaking with it can be your partner it can be your children whoever but trying to just think Am I listening? Am I hearing them? Am I understanding? And if I don't understand, am I asking? I think that's one of the most fundamental skills that we we spend a lot more time in our society thinking about talking or about expressing self-expression. Obviously, social media, but even just professionally, we think more about how to express yourself, which is important. But listening is both a great way to learn how to do that and I think more important than yeah, it's it's just a skill that I think will then serve you as well as serving those around you. To listen like a pro could be the challenge. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> that's that's pretty that's those are great challenges. So thank you both very much. And thank you again for being here. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yes, thank you so much. I love that um, that you end with the challenge. That's excellent. <laughs> well, feel free to take it on. It's there, Very nice whatever touch. you want. So, thank you, guys. Bye. Yes, thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you can feel the inspiration and passion that we put into this conversation, and that it empowers you to be confident, compassionate, and courageous on your journey, on our journey, to becoming all of us. Thanks to the group Bombadil for our intro music, Avery, and to Scott Gratton for our outro music, Motown is Yotown. Come join us again next week for more. Until then, shine bright, you beautiful soul. You are the change the world needs. Go out and shine. Shine.